Welcome to Victory Fellowship's online podcast library. We hope you enjoy this message today. I wanna, I'm, I'm going to share today from the, the story, the feeding of the multitudes, but I, I'm just asking, Lord, just to peel away another layer of the onion skin that blinds our eyes, Lord, that we can perceive the nearness of Christ, the nearness of His coming, the kingdom of God is here in our midst. It's not coming, He's here now, the kingdom of God. And, and it's a, there's, a strange, there's a strange sense about the kingdom of God. You know, the kingdom is coming in, in one sense, but in the other sense, the fullness of His kingdom is here in His church. And to, to taste, to taste and feel the, the substance of God, the, the reality of God is so powerful. Um, in the story of the feeding of the multitudes, it's the one miracle of all the miracles that Jesus performed, it's the only one that's in all four Gospels. And it's a very powerful miracle. It's a, it's a picture of the, of the life of Christ, the, the body of Christ, and the life of His church, of who we are and, and our, our, our presence. Our presence, it's, it's like our, our presence from the world's perspective is insignificant. But from God's perspective, it's the very, it's the very life of the world that we're in today. We are the life of the world, the body of Christ. And uh, so here, here we are in the midst of, of, of God's people. And um, so let's just, let's just look at the story. I'm just going to make several observations this morning and pray for you. Um, let God speak to us from this miracle of the fish and the loaves. Matthew's account. Um, when Jesus heard about it. Now, what was it that Jesus had heard about? Well, what he just heard about is they just cut John the Baptist's head off. That's what he just heard about. John the Baptist was his cousin, but more than that, John the Baptist was the prophet that God raised up to to prophesy and to prepare the worlds for the Messiah. He was the voice crying in the wilderness. He was the first anointed prophet in the nation of Israel in 400 years. And he was a bright and shining light. He was like a lightning bolt that struck suddenly one day and grabbed the attention of a nation. He turned the nation of Israel on its ear for the first time in hundreds of years. The villages shut down, the towns shut down, the schools shut down, the businesses shut down, and everybody by the thousands came to the Jordan River to watch the crazy prophet of John the Baptist, who had lived out in the wilderness for several years, never had a haircut, ate locusts and wild honey, and dressed in a camel skin coat. He was, he was a major throwback, this guy. A throwback to centuries and centuries before. He was preaching that old time religion. And he was tell, calling the people back, not to cultural relevancy, but to, to God relevancy, bringing people back to God. He was the voice crying in the wilderness. And suddenly the, 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 the voice was stopped in a day. Herod had enough of it. He had enough of this prophet, this prophesying against sin and calling people to repentance when he was a, a chief of sinners in his, in his country. So he just said, I'll finish this guy off. Let's see how this works out. Let's cut his head off. So he cut his head off. And so obviously this was going to affect Jesus. John was the forerunner. Now that John was gone, Jesus was being thrown to the forefront. His ministry was now in the, in the forefront. Everyone's attention was turning toward him. John was gone. And the Lord was, is evaluating, as a man, how is this going to affect me? I know I've come to die. Is this my moment? And what he determined in his heart to do was to, to get aside with his di- disciples to take 
a few moments, a few days to reflect and pray and to hear from God about what to do. But he wasn't allowed that luxury. You know, it's impossible to hide a burning and shining light. The light was shining in darkness. He could go out into the wilderness, but he couldn't hide because the glory of his power was shining out from him and the people were being attracted to him. Lord, let your glory shine in your church. In the midst of a dark land, in the midst of a region of darkness, let the glory of your presence shine amongst us. So when Jesus heard about John's death, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. When it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, this is a deserted place and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away that they may go to the villages and buy themselves some food. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. But they said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish. Well, he said, bring them to me. Then he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass. He took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up into heaven. Ah, woo! He knew exactly what was about to happen. When he looked up into heaven, he wasn't frowning, he wasn't scared, he wasn't shaking. He had the biggest smile ever as he looked up into heaven, waiting for the Father's blessing to come. He took the, f- the five loaves, the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples. And the disciples gave to the multitudes. So they all ate and were filled. And they took up 12 baskets full of the fragments that remained. Now those who had eaten were about 5,000 men besides the women and children. 15, 20,000 people got fed from the little boy's lunch that day. Shocking, shocking story. But let's, let's just make some observations. You know, this, this, this can relate to us because all of us, you know, face real life situations. So Jesus was, he found himself in the midst of the greatest need he had experienced up to that point in his life. And he found himself put in a position where he began to pour out to others in the midst of his need. Matthew 14, 13, when he heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place. When the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. He was moved with compassion when he saw the people. You know, one of the, the great lessons that all of us can learn is that when we are, we, when we are at the lowest point in our life. It's not time to back off of ministry, but it's a time to press forward in ministry. It's time to minister to other people. You know, and that's, that's what we had to, that's the, the great lesson of 1990 in our church. Our church had, was, was skidding to a halt because of financial pressure. We were facing the greatest catastrophe as a congregation up to that point in our life. And the temptation upon all of us individually and corporately was just to, to back up, to back up and, and wait for a miracle, wait for the millionaire to show up to bail us out of, of our troubles. But instead, we get a d- direction from the Lord in the midst of your financial chaos, throw a free food festival for whosoever will. In the midst of your trouble, find somebody that's in more financial trouble than you are and begin to pour oil, begin to pour the wine, begin to pour into their life and be a blessing to someone else when you're hurting. It's the way out. It's not one of the ways out. It's the only way out. It's the way out. We can't stop. 
We can't stop pouring the oil. We can't stop pouring the wine. Just because you have resistance, it's not, not time to step up until you get your stuff together. It's time right now. It's time to act in Jesus' name. So let's continue with the observations. Verse 14, it says, he saw the great multitude and he was moved with compassion. Moved with compassion. He was stirred in his inward parts. He was affected not only spiritually, he was affected emotionally. And this word is talking about a physical effect that this circumstance had on him. His inward parts were were stirred. His spirit, soul, and body were beginning to be affected when he saw hurting people. You know, this is how you can really, really, really know if you've been born again. If you want to really know. If you'd like to really know, it's not, you know, it's everybody can pray the prayer. Praying the prayer could be just be like the doing the bead thing, you know. It could be, it could be just like that. It could be just a repetition of a, a meaningless prayer. Is anyone out there this morning? Just because you said the magic formula doesn't mean you got it. I said the magic formula thousands of times before I got it. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good now. You know, this is, so this is, this is true. So the, 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 how can I tell? How can I really know? How can I really know if something of God is in my soul? It's when I look into the eyes of a hurting human being, if something stirs on the inside of me. If something stirs deep down inside of you, when you hear about someone that's got cancer, when you hear about someone that's going through divorce, when you hear about somebody that just lost their car or their kid just ran off, when you hear about someone that's in trouble, rather than gossiping about them and saying why you know, knowing why, why they got into that trouble, instead of throwing heaps of coals on top of their stuff, Instead of blaming them for their circumstances, you're moved on the inside. You're hurting with their hurts. That's how you know. That's how you know you've been born again. When there's love in your heart, when there's something beating in your soul that says, I want to touch somebody that's in trouble. When you see a sick person, when you see a single mom, when you see a homeless person, when you see somebody strung out on crack, something inside of you says, Lord, help me to help them if it's just a prayer. Lord, help me to put my hand on them and pour out. This is what Jesus was facing. None like Christ, Matthew Henry said, none like Christ for pity to souls. His compassions fail not. He did not only pity them, but he helped them. Many of them were sick, and he, in compassion to them, healed them, for he came into the world to be the great healer. After a while, they were all hungry, and he, in compassion, he fed them. Note in the favors Christ shows to us, he is moved with compassion. Also, notice in this, in this passage, it says that Jesus went out to a, a desert place. And in this desert place, Christ was revealed in a profound way. You know, it's in the, the desert places of our lives where we begin to see Christ in a greater capacity. When we go out into the, into the desert regions, when we go out into the wilderness, when our journey brings us into the howling wilderness of this life of troubles, strife, contention, lack, and need in our personal life, when we're drawn out of our comfort zone, drawn out into to the wilderness places of this world, the shining light of Christ begins to bring, bring, be, be, beam loud, 
brighter and brighter, begins to attract us to his glory and his goodness. Here's a couple of short quotes about that. John Trapp from the 1600s said, the, the son of righteousness could not be hid. He could not be hid. He couldn't go into hiding because he had healing in his wings. You couldn't, you couldn't put out that sun. It was too bright. You couldn't hide the sun. Matthew Henry in the 1700s said, the presence of Christ and his gospel makes a desert place not only tolerable, but desirable. Wow. Wow. Let me read that again. The presence of Christ and his gospel makes a desert place not only tolerable, but desirable. He makes the wilderness an Eden. You know, I, I, can, I can concur with this. I can remember several times in my life thinking back at some of the hardest moments and wishing I was back there again because of the profound way that Christ met me there. I can remember in recent times dealing with church stuff, dealing with issues in the ministry, thinking, Lord, why can't I just wake up and I'm back tree planting again? It would be so much easier. And your glory was on me. Lord, you know, and I, I can remember thinking of that profound month of October of 2005. And even actually, actually having a stirring in my heart, wishing I could be there for a moment of time. Because of the grace that was in that place. This is exactly what Matthew Henry's talking about. He says he can make the desert places not only tolerable, but desirable for us. So if you're going through a hard time, take courage, my friend. Look to Christ. Look to Christ today. Look to Christ right now. In the midst of the preaching of the word, get a hold of him. Touch the hem of his garment. Climb up in the tree so you can see him. Press through the crowds. Touch Christ. And you'll experience that Eden in your life. Oh, yeah, and there's always, oh, I love this. This, you know, if you um, just put away your tomatoes and rotten eggs and stuff right now. No throwing stuff. When it was evening, his disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place and the hour's late. Now, what is he doing? He's laying his case. He was given a really, really good excuse not to minister to these people. That's what the, this disciple, these disciples, they, were, they didn't want any part of it. So they, they were coming up with a really, really good excuse. Oh, yeah, it's a deserted place. It's too late. We don't have enough money. Send the multitudes away. They can go find something to eat themselves. But Jesus said, oh, no need to go them to go away. You give them something to eat. Now, there's always a good reason not to be involved in ministry. Oh, yeah, you know, my, my wife, she's, she's causing trouble. My husband's causing trouble. My kids are, too, oh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm just so busy. You know, I've got, we've got baseball practice and ballet, and we've got, oh, we've got, we've got to go do all these things with our kids, you know, family stuff. We're just too busy. We don't have time to do this. Oh, I'm too busy. You know, I'm just so busy. In my, my, you, don't, you don't understand, Pastor. I've just got so many things, but we're behind you. We're behind you, but we're just, there's just no, there's no way I can lead a cell group. There's no way I can get involved in children's ministry. There's no way I can get involved in the healing room. There's no way I can be involved with, with youth. No way, but, but we're behind you. We're just too busy. This is a, now the, the reason, the reason is not, not because the Lord needs you. 
are not even because we need your help. The reason is because you need to. That's the reason why. That's what he's telling the disciples. He's telling them it's not about my God. Didn't, Jesus didn't have any need. He didn't have any lack. His ministry wasn't going to fail if, if they didn't step up to the plates. And you know what? This ministry won't fail if you don't step up to the plates. That's going to go forwards. The hand of God is on us, but he is calling all of us. He's calling all of us. He's placed you in a strategic place where no one else is to touch hurting people. It might not be profound. No no one might not even know about it. You might be the insignificant little boy with the lunch. And no one knows, but God in heaven knows, and he's watching. And the great day will reveal, and the rewards will be distributed, and you'll rejoice because you said yes instead of making another excuse. So anyway, I'm going to take the pressure off. So now here's, there's another interesting story here. In John's account, it talks about Andrew. And Andrew, Andrew was, instead of making excuses, Andrew found a solution. And, and the solution was, it seemed stupid, but at least it was a solution. It was, well, I found this one little kid here and he's got some, he's got his lunch with him. How will that, how, will that work? You know, you never know. Well, you never know who that little boy is. You know, I I did an illustrated sermon one day, and I let my mind roam about that little boy. I think that little boy was somebody great someday. I think he was a great man of God. He was was known by Andrew. He's from Andrew's hometown. He was friends with one of the apostles who was a martyr for Christ. And I have a feeling that he probably was one of the players in that first generation. That's just my, my opinion and my theory. We never know who it is. You never know who that insignificant person is that's next door to you, that, who works for you, who's, who's down the street from you, who's on the side of the road. You never know that insignificant person and how significant they might be in the scope of things. I read a story recently about this, this German schoolmaster. He was a teacher, an elementary school teacher many, many years ago. And he used to have this habit every day as his, his young elementary school students came into the class. He'd take off his, his, his hat and he'd bow down and welcome them. And it's, it's a sign of, of greeting and of humility. Humbling himself and greeting these young boys. And they asked him why that he did this. And he, he told them, he said, well, you never know. Who might be in my class? Well, years went by. He comes to find out that one of the young boys in his class was a, name, a guy by the name of Martin Luther. was one of his students. Never know. You never know. You never know. You might think this kid is a horrible person. He probably is. But God has a great plan, and God's greater than that, than whatever it is he's going through. So, you know, so, you know there's, there's always a reason not to give, but there's a reason to sow. And it's because you never know the impact that your ministry is going to have. You know, our, our, limits, our resources are limited, but God's resources are unlimited. And Jesus took, he said, he looked at the, 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 the little insignificant lunch, and he must have smiled. He said, well, bring it to me. Let's, let's just bring this to me. And he took it into his hands. He was about to display, in this natural world, he was about to display the edge or a demonstration of infinite supply. Infinite supply. His resources are never even close to being depleted. 
You, he, he's fed this world for thousands of years and his storehouse is still overflowing with food for the whales and for the fish and for the shrimp and for the kangaroos and for the wildebeest and for the cattle and the buffalo and for you and for me and for the mosquitoes. He's got food for everybody and his resources are never depleted. Infinite supply. Infinite supply. Infinite is the one word that's incomprehensible. How can there be an infinite supply? I can't understand it. But his eternal attributes were glimpsed in the ministry of Jesus. There was the unprecedented water into wine. The mind-numbing walking on water. The strange stilling of the storm. And who could ever forget the net-ripping boat sinking catch of fish? Just when the disciples calmed down from one demonstration of God's glory, there he was again defying the odds and shocking everyone who happened to be there. The feeding of the multitudes grabbed all of the disciples' attention. He was now bringing them into this arena called infinite. You give them something to eat. As they struggled to find food, they came across the little boy with a lunch. This was all they had. They were about to discover the infinite displayed in a little boy's lunch. I have to say it again. Infinite supply. How can there be a supply of anything that is limitless? Now here's Charles Spurgeon's take on this. This is what he says. He says, but the point is this that I want to show you. The power that multiplied the bread and the fish and fed the thousands had not come to an end. Their power to eat was exhausted, but not Christ's power to feed. For when they had received to their utmost capacity, there was yet more to follow. The people were sharp set that day. The mountain air made their appetites keen, and their long fasting put a razor edge upon them. Yet when they had all eaten to the full, great baskets were brought, and these were filled. In the one case, 12, and in the other case, seven of them. There's enough for each, enough for all, and still remaining for future needs. The infinite worker reveals his infinity by his unstinted bounty, his unmeasured liberality. This is the amazing truth about God's supply. Enough for each, enough for all, and still ample supply for future needs. I'm trying to let this soak into my head. He has more than enough for each of us in every circumstance. He is and has more than enough for all of us in every circumstance. He is and has more than enough for all of our future needs. Now I get it. That's why the children of Israel in the wilderness were only allowed to gather enough manna for that day. God is a continual flowing fountain of provision. We are being taught to depend on Him every day. There's a sufficient grace available. There's an infinite grace available. We're able to drink of it every day. So which kind of challenge are you facing today? Is it bigger than infinite? Take, up, take whatever you have. Put it in the hand of the Lord. Stand back and watch the infinite one display his glory. And then, and then Jesus, Matthew 14, 19, he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass and he took the five loaves and the two fish. And then he looked up into heaven. Whew. He looked up into heaven. Oh yeah, he, one place Jesus knew was heaven. He'd been there from eternity. He knew what heaven was about. <laughs> he looked at this natural world and its problems and he thought, this is, this is no big deal. He just took the bread and the fish and he looked up at his father in heaven. He looked up to God. 
You know, it's, it's, where our, our, it's where our solutions start. Just take your eyes off of your circumstances and have a look up toward heaven. Look up into the heavenlies and watch God begin to, to work in your life in, in a supernatural way. Um, Henry said, if we seek first the kingdom of God and make that our chief care, we depend upon God to add all things to us as far as he sees fit and may cast all of our care upon them. These followed Christ but for a trial and a present fit of zeal, and yet Christ took this care of them. Much more will he provide for those who follow him fully. And then he gave thanks. John said in, in John 6, 11, he took the loaves, and, and looking into heaven, he gave thanks. Begin to give thanks to the Lord. Why don't we just take a moment and do that right now? Just close your eyes with me and, and lift your heads toward heaven as if you're looking into heaven and and open the eyes of your heart, not your physical ones, but open the eyes of your heart and look into heaven, looking up into heaven like Jesus did. And let's just begin to give him thanks. Begin to give him thanks for his salvation. Give him thanks for his protection, for his provision. Lord God, thank you. Thank you, God, that I'm still alive. Thank you, Lord God, that I'm, I'm sitting here clothed in, in somewhat of my right mind this morning, Lord God. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for your goodness. Thank you for your presence. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And then in verse 18 and 19, after he looked into heaven, and he, he, well, he commanded the, the, the disciples to sit down on the grass, and he took the five loaves and the two fish. He blessed them, and he broke them, and he gave the loaves to the disciples, and the disciples gave to the multitudes. You know, this miracle happened as the food was distributed. It wasn't like suddenly there was a mountain of fish and bread there. But it, he took the, still, you know, he looked to heaven, asked God to bless it, thanked him for it, and then he began to take it and distribute it. And in the distribution, it began to multiply, began to multiply, began to multiply. And it says the disciples took it and began to give to every person as much as they wanted. Now, I'm sure they had some big guys there. <laughs> they wanted a big pile of fish. Wanted to make sure they had enough. Big pile of fish, big pile. So they were giving out piles of fish and piles of bread and piles of fish and piles of bread. And they distributed it and distributed it and distributed it. So the, you know, this, an observation we can make here is that it takes more than just believing God in your heart. Once you touch God, then you have to take action. You have to start taking action. You know, I was thinking of this story last night and I had to laugh about it. As I was thinking of this in the Saturday night service, the... The example that God gives in the Bible is the story of Abraham. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as for righteousness. What did he believe God for? He believed God to have a son. He believed God from the time he was 70 till the time he was 99 to have a son. His wife was barren. When he was 99, the Lord came to him and told him to circumcise himself. And he felt, it says he fell on his face and laughed. When God said, do, he said, what? He said, circumcise yourself and the next year you're gonna have a son. He fell on his face and he left. He believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. But Abraham, how many people know that, that, that Isaac was not an immaculate conception? How many people know that? Do you realize that? Did, Sarah didn't wake up and find herself pregnant. Don't get religious on me here. Abraham not only believed God in his heart, he had to take action. As a 99-year-old man, whatever that means. <laughs> well, you've got, I've got some religious looks at me right now. 
And you go home and watch those ugly movies and mock me when I talk about stuff like this. So he took action. He distributed the bread. He had relations with his wife. There was, they rolled away the stone. He stretched forth the, the withered hand. He pressed through the crowd and touched the hem of his garments. There was an action that took place. There was a stepping into the, into the waters and the waters parted. There's a stretching out of the rod. There's always an action that takes place. You know, God speaks to our heart. There's the, the, the giving of the fish and the bread. There's the stepping out. As we, there's always something that, we, that God asks of us to step out. To, with Peter, to step out of the boat and walk on the water. There was action. And God moves. So this is, you know, what a, what a powerful lesson. Now, we'll finish it with this last, this last thought and we'll pray. So the, they distributed the food and the bread all throughout the crowd. And they all ate. And they were all filled. And they took up 12 baskets full of the fragments that remained. And now this is an interesting word. This word fills. You can put it on the screen for me. It's a Greek word. I can't even say it. You got it there? That word. That word right there. That's the word filled. And this word is normally used. It's normally used in referring to animals. This is not the normal word you use for human beings. And when it is used for human beings, it means they had more than necessary. They, they ate until they were gorged. It's describing really, 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 really being filled. They ate like animals that day. They ate and they ate and they ate and they ate and they were satisfied. They were filled. And then there was still an overflow. God is, God's an incredible God. Now this picture is a picture not only of, of natural provision, but it's also talking about spiritual provision. Jesus spent the next day, as they began to follow him, he began to, to teach the next day about the, the true bread that comes down from heaven. He said, you know, this, this bread was, you know, this was just a, a, a day's meal. But this bread comes down from heaven every day, this, this other kind of bread. He said, I have bread to eat that you know not of. I have bread to eat. He said, and then he told him, I am the bread that comes down from heaven. You know, Moses didn't give you that bread that they ate for 40 years. My Father in heaven gave you that bread. And as a matter of fact, I am the bread. I am the manna. I am the bread of life. He that eats this bread shall never hunger and never be satisfied, never, never thirst. They'll be satisfied forever. So yeah, we can be filled to all our, to all our hearts are totally satiated, totally filled or gorged as we feed on Christ. And he's more than enough for us. Thanks for listening. Check out our website at www.victoryfellowship.net for service times and for more information.